Hey guys, and welcome to What Was Her Name? The show where I will uncover the stories of domestic abuse survivors. I'm your host, Maya Hooper. Hey guys, and welcome to What Was Her Name? My name is Maya, and I am here with my guest. Um, We actually met through Facebook. Um, I had created a group online called Phoenix on Facebook, and I believe that we got connected through there. And so it's just really crazy to see all of the connections and ways that are formed to come together within this community. So I have my guest here, Caroline, and... Uh, she is uh, with us all the way from Canberra, ACT, Australia. Wow, so cool. We've been trying to find a time for a while now, and it can be a bit difficult with time zones. So I'm excited to get started and hear your story. Um, the whole reason that I wanted um, Caroline to come on the podcast was that she had posted something within Facebook in the private group that we have. And it was a photograph. And I think you had had a written piece as well with it. And it really just moved me. And I was like, I have to hear this story. And I have to have this on the podcast because other people need to hear this story. So I'm really excited and and grateful that you were able to come on today. Yeah, good. That's that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> My name is Caroline Ambrose, and I'm 84. Uh, what happened to me happened in the 1950s and the 1960s, a long time ago. Wow. And how did you meet your significant other? Can you tell us how it started? Um. I met him at a nightclub in Sydney. I was uh, doing a nursing course. And um, prior to that, I'd been a country girl and it was my new stint in the city. Uh, And I was like uh, very ignorant, very young, very naive. I was 17 and um, he was 12 years older than me, Uh, very sophisticated. European, he was Hungarian actually. Um, yeah, well, you know, we sort of got together. Um, I must, have, I must say, at that point, I was not only naive; I was emotionally very needy, mm-hmm. having come from a background that was um, very difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was actually with him for seven years, from about nineteen. 58 when my daughter was born I was 18 and uh, I left the marriage in 1966 Mm. Uh, it was a very uh, stressful time Uh, he was a textbook psychopath Uh, he was physically abusive mentally abusive financially abusive Uh, he was unfaithful he was a psychopath he um, it was Hungarian uh, soldier in World War Two on the German side, where he was um, a member of the SS. I didn't know any of this at the time. He was also married to somebody else. I didn't know that either. So um, I became pregnant, and uh, my lovely Protestant parents, uh, very religious, they were horrified, especially when they found out he was married. And when I told them I would live with him de facto, they kidnapped me from his care, as it were, and um, tried to force me to have my baby adopted. Mm. Wow. Uh, It's taken me all of my life to get over this. Uh, Post-traumatic stress, I've only since in the last four years been seeking counselling about all of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is why I'm able to talk about it. Wow. When did you realize uh, that something was wrong? I know that you said that he was a um, classic textbook psychopath, which means that in the beginning there was nothing wrong, right? Um, mm. Everything seemed great. And so uh, if you've 
if you're familiar with any of the episodes and um, you know stories on here, many of us um, have. My ex uh, is a textbook um, psychopath, and <laughs> many of the uh, other women who have um, come on here have also, you know, encountered just very um, eerie kind of men- mind bending uh, experiences. And so, uh, how did it? begin in the sense that like when did you realize that something um something was wrong um when he left me deserted in the city of sydney mm-hmm. with two children under the age of three two babies with no money and nowhere to go my home was in canberra our home was in canberra Mm-hmm. But uh, he'd taken up with a woman there and told me I wasn't wanted and just left me there. And that was a fair indication that there was something wrong. Yeah. Up until that point, um, up until the point that he had left you with the two children, had you been seeing signs of, like, instability or was that really the Oh, first? yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So I guess where was, like, the first oh, from, point? Yeah, very early in the place. Yeah. When I became pregnant with the... My son, that was the year after my daughter was born. He was born exactly 11 months later. Um, oh. It was in that, in that time I understood that he was a liar and that he was violent. Uh, he was acting out. Um, he wasn't interested in the children. Uh, yeah, it was pretty clear. Mm. Even that, and that would, that would have been the second year that I knew him. But you know, having been trapped by pregnancy and by the circumstances of the 1950s, I had no choice but to stay with him and try and make the best of it, which is what I did. Uh, but when my children were four, four and three, or maybe younger, that's when it fell apart, and that's when he left me this other woman. My children ended up in a children's home for 12 months and then they uh, were brought back to Canberra and lived with a foster parent for another 12 months and then I received government accommodation and I was able to care for them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Wow. Um, so in the 1950s, uh would you say would you say that like in that time in that time period i know that there was a lot more of this sense of like our traditional wife and having like our like this very much like the husband goes to work the wife stays at home with the kids was that kind of like the household that he had wanted to have maintained back then during that time yeah well yeah. i was very rebellious actually when the whole thing fell apart and i was waiting for my government accommodation, I made it quite clear that I was a single woman with two children. I did not hide the fact. I did not say I was de, de facto. I didn't. I just said, well, that's, that's the situation. I received a lot of negative treatment because I was honest. Um, the 1950s was horrific for women. I just can't begin to describe just how awful it was. Mm. Um, Didn't matter what you did, you were damned. Damned if you did and damned if you didn't. Mm. I was working all this time, by the way. I had a government job in the public service and I was earning money. Well, through all of these years I, I, I worked. Jobs were easy to get. Good jobs. So, uh, yeah, that still didn't soften the blow, though. The money was never enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, the women received five-eighths of the male wage, uh, yet we still received the same, you know, bills that you had to pay and childcare costs were uh, out of sight. Accommodation, combination of childcare and accommodation, no single woman on, it, on a single woman's wage could care for her children. And the flip side of that was 
welfare had an attitude that you're a working mother, you're not home taking care of your children, therefore your children are deemed to be abandoned and the state will take them into care. Mm. And I was fighting that all the time. Wow. It was horrific. Yeah. So, and I feel like it's uh, traumatizing to have experienced, let alone the abuse, but then to be, um, to to have the experience that you did in the in those first uh, years, and then for it to, for that for you then to experience a different level of like trauma just from having to try and rebuild your life on your own, and also have children that you needed to take care of and there being like absolutely no advocacy or support for you no there was no uh, women's refuges there was no government money for women until they bought in a widow's pension um there was no support uh single mothers did not exist as far as the system was concerned and then we received then gough whitlam came Gough Whitlam, our lovely Prime Minister, was elected in the 1960s and he brought in equal pay. It was the first thing he did, and I'll never forget it because for the first time in my life I felt I was proud to be an Australian, that he had done that for the women. Mm. Um, Yeah. Um, I got my flat finally, got my two kids back. There was a two-year waiting time to get a flat. And you're going to laugh. For some obscure, well, no, it wasn't stupid. It was stupid. I took him back Mm. Um, because I wasn't surviving, even so. I had the flat. I had the job. had the two children. There was still no childcare. There was still no help. They got very sick, both of them, uh, measles very badly and then pneumonia and pleurisy respectively. Mm. Um, I'd reached the point where I couldn't survive as a single mother. So I took him back, um, knowing full well that I was doing a stupid thing, but um, I thought this is a choice between this man and my children's survival. So I had a third child. But that enabled the government to give me a three-bedroom house in the suburbs. So I moved from my two-bedroom teeny-weeny flat to a three-bedroom house. Some years later, they brought in a program where tenants in their houses could buy the house, very cheap deposit and very good terms. So that's what I did. And then I kicked him out, of course. Uh, The last... uh, year or so of our marriage, I did marry him because the government wouldn't give me a house unless unless I produced the marriage certificate, which I did, ironically. Mm. Um, so, his, behavior, his behavior was unbelievable. So, Caroline, uh, so would you say it was quite strategic then? He was what, quite? Strategic. Him? Like, you like do you feel like uh because you said something in the beginning like uh it was survival of your children or like you couldn't there was not an option to be free at this point because you needed your children to survive and uh you did what you had to to protect your children um and so would you say that it was like strategic in the sense that with with the house once you got the house you kicked him out like like during that time were you like did you feel like you were in love with him or was it more like I need oh, no, him? no 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 yeah. I was not in love with him no no that that ended in the first or the second year I met him oh no I didn't love him at all yeah after that no uh, I was just very pragmatic mm-hmm. and very considered I, I considered all the options and came to the conclusion that I had to have that three-bedroom house and I had to get rid of him. Mm. Uh, Part of my motivation for getting rid of him was when my third child was born, my daughter, uh, he came to the hospital the day she was born 
with his girl, ex-girlfriend, the one that he ditched me for earlier, and demanded to know who the father of the child was. <laughs> his ex-girlfriend, who'd already had a child to him. Uh, anyway, getting back to the uh, beginning of that story, um, yeah. after the birth, the child, the baby, was put into a situation where she had to rest for 24 hours, so I hadn't seen her. Mm. He apparently had come to the hospital and poked his nose in the door and saw her and decided she was so ugly she couldn't have been his. Yeah. She was ugly. She was a breech birth. Um, so uh, he brought the girlfriend in as a witness. So I hadn't seen the baby, but he had. Um, I called the nurse and I said, Bring my baby down now. Yeah. So she did. Anyway, the girlfriend took one look at my little daughter and burst into tears and said, oh, she's just like my baby boss. Mm. <laughs> of course, he, he, he went down like a punctured balloon. Mm. But at that moment, even at that moment, I thought, this man is so toxic, he has just got to go. Mm. So it took me another two years to get rid of him, but boy, did I get rid of him. Mm. Wow. And uh, ended up putting him in jail for non-payment of maintenance. Uh, child Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Uh, I decided that, uh, well, he found another wife. That was the fourth. Found the fourth wife. Got her pregnant. Um, got a phone call from her. So I was in jail and I'm pregnant. I said, oh, well, you're the fourth in the line of succession, aren't you? <laughs> wow. I did, I did maintain my sense of humour. <laughs> So they negotiated, so I let him out on the cheap. I thought, oh, I don't want his money. He's such a bastard. I don't even want a financial connection with him. Mm. I just want to never hear his name again. Mm. So I took the money and uh, never sued him after that. He, he disappeared. Mm. Wow. Um, yeah, and I just got on with my life. By then my children were late or oh, early teens or, yeah. So I have a question, um, Caroline, how was it, how was it for you when you were navigating, uh, single motherhood and finding out that there's, or knowing that there's no resources for you and kind of just in this, you know, trying to keep your head above water, uh, and realizing like, I, I can't keep my head above water. I'm going to have to like, you know, mm -hmm. Yeah, help how well, did you how did that yeah go ahead how did it feel yeah I think I'm asking this question just because I know a lot of uh, people who are listening and uh who I'm connected to through the domestic violence community on Instagram um thousands of women who are have left and even though it's you know 50 years later um mm. are still swimming trying to keep their head above water and yeah. I think you know you are on the other side of it granted yeah. that it you have wrestled like you said you you know with the mental health aspect and uh I mean it's it's taken a lifetime to try and navigate you know however I think that you can provide insight that you know to others who are listening who may be in the earlier stages of that well, what happened to me when my father kidnapped me and tried to force me to have my baby adopted and all the trauma that followed with my husband was one trauma on top of another for nearly 15 years, if you count the time with my parents. I'd reached the point emotionally 
where I was totally disconnected. I had no emotions. Mm. I just, I was pragmatic. I was practical. Uh, I th- think, I think things through. I had no feelings. Mm. I've had no feelings for the most of my life about all of this, except for the last five years or so. I've had to come to terms with it emotionally, and that's been another journey. People can remain switched off all their lives. It does happen, and I was suffering from post-traumatic stress, of course. Uh, but the further I distance myself from the emotions of what happened to me, the better able I was able to survive, mm. which is a very poor way of surviving, but you do get through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that it's crazy how the mind and body work and how it's able to, in order to survive, it's able to turn off um, yeah. to keep you safe. Um, That's a very, very viable survival tactic. I'd never blame anyone for being switched off. Mm. Oh. Mm. Well, but I think- you do pay, you, eventually it catches up with you and you do have to come to terms. Yes. Yes. And I think, uh, luckily, I mean, back then in the 1950s, like (laughs) where we've come now is, I mean, I, we're still not there. I mean, there's, there's, the system is still so screwed up and I see so many mothers losing their children or, uh, fathers being awarded custody of kids after they've abused them or, uh, you know, continual abuse towards, towards uh, women and having to testify and, and almost relive mm-hmm. the trauma over and over again. Um, but I think that I will say, I think I've seen more of a movement of, you know, trying to not remain in, in that um, neutral sort of uh, I'm going to uh, switch off in order to function. Yeah. And so people are dealing with the trauma a bit earlier head on because we're having the resources through therapy to be able to navigate that um, sooner. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, I think things are much worse for women now, you know, Mm. these days compared to the 50s, even 60s. Well, we did have the feminist movement in the the 60s and there was a sort of a period where women were doing fine, but there's been a backlash and I think women these days are much worse off. Uh, I don't know about America, but in Australia, we're losing a lot of women through domestic violence. There's one or two a week being killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, the courts totally bizarre. Uh, there's nowhere that women can go. Luckily, there are organisations set up to help women that have find themselves in this position, and that's the only plus. I mean, in the 50s and 60s, we had no help. But men in the 50s and 60s were not quite as, well, they were secure. They were secure. They had their wife. You know, women were in their place. There was no challenges for men. They were able to rule the roost uh, without uh, any fear of uh, losing their status or their privileges or whatever else. Mm. I think they've got because they're misogynist. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do feel sorry for the women now. I really do. Yeah. You know, the violence comes so easily to the men and they don't care if they kill the woman or maim her because they know the police won't help, courts mm. won't help, nobody. So yeah. it's tough. Yeah. Australia, Australian men, Australia is still a raw colonial country with colonial attitudes, which means that women, Aboriginals, anyone different is despised. Mm. And we're still there. And that, that's run through the whole of society, the courts, the police, everywhere. Women are nothing. You know, and, and yep, most men who carry, do that sort of thing at all, 
poor bloke, you know, he's a good bloke, really. The sympathy is always with the man. Yeah. Women are, yeah, don't have a chance. So I think I think taking that into account, I think Australia would be of the um Western Western advanced Western type of societies, I think Australia would has a very poor record of of humanity for women, children, migrants, Aboriginals, the whole gamut. Mm. I've got Aboriginal friends that put up with racism every day. Children under the ages of 12 are put in jail, Aboriginal children, put in jail regularly. Um, and it's all colonial type thinking. It's, it is tough. Mm. Caroline, yeah. um, one of the questions, so I typically ask this, uh, I know you explained already some of your story, but I usually highlight three experiences in your journey. Um, they don't, they can be long. They don't have to be, but um, just like three, three experiences that stick out to you that you would like to share. Um, I do this. I ask this question because uh, often uh, when we experience things, sometimes we think it's unique to us. And we, like, I know I used to think that nobody would ever understand some of the things I encountered until I started to talk about it. And then other people came forward and it's created this snowball effect of others hearing individual aspects of stories and being like, whoa, wait, mm. that happened to me. Or people not even realizing, whoa, that's abuse because you know it's not violence necessarily. And so uh, yeah. I'm curious, what are three experiences in your abuse journey that you would share? Yeah. Um talking about pivotal episodes yeah pivotal episodes yeah well <laughs> i've got so many to choose from where do oh, i start no, okay. being left on the streets with my two babies was a bit tough uh, my father kidnapping was certainly tough kidnapping me i tried to get away from home about three times and they kept on calling me back um I think the mental the mental agony is worse than the physical. Um, the daily screaming matches he'd, he'd he'd scream and scream for hours, and you could see his eyes bulging and the veins would bulge out in his neck. Um, I've got a vision of that even now. That was that was constant. He, he throttled, tried to. Uh, there was rape, of course. Uh, there was one time he tried to strangle me, bashed me up. Yeah, um, I wouldn't say that there were specific instances. They just seemed to be ongoing. It just went on and on and on. Mm. Um, having him standing there asking me who was the father of my baby was pretty upsetting, actually. Um, that 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 was when I made a decision that there was no way of trying to save this marriage and that he had to go. Mm. That was a very big thing. Mm. Uh, just hours after I'd given birth. Breach birth, which was hard. Um, he was doing that to me. That yeah. was mental torture. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the 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 corrosive effect of all of that. It, it affects your self esteem so badly. Um, I was lucky I could actually distance myself from all that trauma. It was like I was I was two people at once. I was this distanced person and I was and 
looking at this person involved in all of this trauma. Mm. And it took me a long while to put the two people back together again. Mm. And that's what disassociation does to you. Yeah. yeah. The day I left him, that was another big event. He was screaming at me in the kitchen. I had my three, three children sitting outside waiting for us because we were supposed to go on a picnic and I was packing picnic food and he comes in and starts his usual rant and rave, screaming at me and um, he said, I might as well take you out in the bush and kill you. Mm-hmm. It was the first time, first time he actually threatened murder. Oh. Well, I wasn't impressed. Now, after his rants and rages, he would go to bed and sleep because he would exhaust himself. So when he was asleep, I picked up the three children, tiptoeing around the house, picked up a few clothes, threw them in the car and drove away and just never went back to it. That was it. I just left. No plans. Had a job in the government, so at least I was getting money coming in. Had a car. Had a house, actually, but I had to leave. Um, I had I had support from friends. They helped a lot. Uh, they found me accommodation, uh, and that was how I survived. He actually set a private detective on my tail. Um, he made the mistake of giving my address of my house to the detective to post the report to. So after I evicted him, the report report arrived. I took it down to my lawyers and they thought it was a great joke. Mm. Wow. Um, that was it. I'm, it took me a long while to work it all out and during the 80s I had a very severe nervous breakdown which took me seven years to work through. Meanwhile, I qualified as a librarian. I qualified as a bloody art teacher. I did a degree. <laughs> I renovated the house. I wrote three or four books. I can't remember which one. Australian Women Artists was one of them. I kept busy. Mm. That was the only way to stay sane. What were you thinking when you were driving away in the car with your three kids? Like, what do you remember what was going through your mind? Um, I was trying to entertain the kids. We were driving down the coast, down a very steep coastal road, and there was a fog. That's usually called Brown Mountain, always in fog. And I remember driving into this abyss. You couldn't couldn't see very far in front of the car. The road was winding. It was wet, and the kids were in the back. So I was playing a pretend game with the kids, about what sort of adventure we were going to have. But in I was driving into nothingness, that fog and the mountain and the conditions were so overwhelming. It was just amazing, really. We got through it. But driving into it was a very strange feeling of no past, no future, it's just here and now. Mm-hmm. That's the way I coped with that. I think that's, that's yeah, no past, no future, just now. I think that yeah. that, yeah. Past. Yep. Wow, I'm just like moved uh, listening to your story. Like it makes me like emotional but also like just um I think overwhelmed just hearing uh what you've endured and also just you give it a perspective that I have not yet heard from and I think can learn a lot from you and uh you've just been through a lot in your lifetime and I know you're just you know we're just uh accumulating uh you know an episode podcast and this is you know years and years and years of your life um yeah 
but to be in that in that time frame i not even i don't know i think it's just something about um surviving abuse and when you leave and i also left um with my little boy and he was one and we were living um in europe his his father's german and mm-hmm. uh his father had he had moved us to Europe um, saying that it would be, I thought that it would be best for him to be near his family and to be, to have help because he was, he, I I thought that he had had a mental breakdown. He was clinically insane. And I, he wasn't like that before we had gotten married. So I was like, I thought that it was our marriage that had turned him. I don't know. I didn't know what it was. And, but it had just started when, when we got married and so we went to Europe, but then long behold, now, uh, I can see it full circle and, uh, it was definitely all in his plan. I mean, he, I was trapped there for, for, for years and yeah. now my son, you know, is we're fighting custody and he's Ugh. because he was born in another country. Um, my, my ex-husband's filed um, something under the Hague Convention saying that I had kidnapped our son. And so it all just makes sense, though, when I look back and I see now, oh, no, he was he's an, he was an abusive man and mentally ill. Mm. Um, and now I see it for what it is. And I see, oh, no, it was not a coincidence that we like moved to, to Germany. It was not at all. Um, he knew exactly what he was doing. But... Uh, to hear other stories and and to think at one point in time, I remember thinking like, I'm like, so I thought like, this is so unique. Like I am so unique. Like nobody, if somebody ever hears this story, they're going to just think this is the craziest thing they've ever heard in my story. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I hear now I have this opportunity to have this podcast, which I would like have never imagined and meet so many survivors. And I hear everybody's stories and they're all so different, but also all so similar that I'm like, whoa, like I'm not, I'm, this is not unique. Like this is happening to women every single day and and men. And so it's, it's like wild to me. And so to, to be sitting on the other end, listening to your story and to, you know, for this to have happened, you said in like the 1950s, right? Mm. It's like, it doesn't, it never stops. Like it's a cycle continues and continues on. Um, it's shocking. Yeah, it's really it's... shocking. Yeah, yeah. Well, what would you say is the most painful p- point of your story? Most painful. Yeah. Hmm. Oh. Don't know. Um, looking back, I could identify. At the time, I never could identify anything. I was just kind of pacing it out and surviving. Looking back, uh, I think being left on the streets with my two babies, mm. I never expected it. I, I knew he was a crazy man but I never thought he'd do that to me or to his children yeah um, I think that that probably was the time when I felt most abandoned and mm-hmm. alone yeah and even him flawed as he was there was some kind of support mm-hmm pretty tokenistic but uh no that was when I was abandoned and my children and abandoned by my parents I might add of course because you had the baby well you know they had their Protestant ethics didn't they Mm. they were they were real 1950 real products of the Victorian era combined with the 1950s, <laughs> very toxic. Yeah. 
So what yeah. do you feel kept, like, what do you think kept you going then all these years? What kept me going? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was pretty smart. Um, well, smart as a little kid too. Um, I always had a kind of the ability to distance myself and see things objectively, to not get sucked into it emotionally, mm. it kept me going. Um, and I was able to analyse very well, and I'm, I'm, I've always been good at interpreting things and almost almost psychic, I'd say, you know. I always had, it's like, uh, I've always been an empath, always had a great deal of feeling for what's going on around me, like emotionally with people. Mm -hmm. So I was able to make judgments that always turned out to be correct. Mm. Um, yeah, mm. that's, that's not always a gift. Yeah, double sided. Yeah, mm. double. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, what were you like before you met him? Stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Young, <laughs> teenagey. Mm. Um, I was a very capable, competent child. Um, I I actually grew up in a little country town called Glen Innes, and uh, my father was a teacher, and they kept on moving him around the state. Uh, we were forced to leave Glen Innes to go to the city because he was moved in his job. Every time, every time he was moved, I lost my whole world. I lost my friends, school, my surroundings. During my whole life, I've never had my parents. My, my father was so remote, he was not there. And my mother was so hurt by everything, she was not there. Uh, I have four younger brothers. We've all suffered. Um, how did I get onto this? What was I like? They were, yeah, I had to survive from a very small child. I had no choice. And unfortunately, my efforts were crippled every time my father moved, um, which that's what set me back and that's why I was needy and that's why I ended up with a conning psychopath. Because I had no, I had no foundations. I had no roots. I was, I was adrift. Mm. And my four brothers all suffered the same thing. Really, the parents were not there for us. They never spoke to us except to say, "You do this or you do that." We never had conversations. They never held us. They never hugged us. They never said that they loved us. It was just remote control. Wow. And uh, that was a tough way to be raised. Yeah. But, you know, people that get into the position that I was in usually have a long history of that sort of abuse. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's true. I think a lot of, um, not always, but I think definitely the way that you're upbringing is and like you said there was no foundation mm. so if you're not having someone telling you that you're loved and that your life has value then why are you going to think that you are loved and deserve a love that treats you as mm. if you are a value you know yeah 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 it does have a lifelong effect mm -hmm. um, yeah people that are raised like that end up either going under and becoming completely destroyed or they become like me, uh, fiercely independent, uh, resourceful in a way. Mm -hmm. 
that you learn how to survive. Yeah, you have to. Something I ask uh, every guest, and it is, uh, what is something that you can you can do now um, that you're out that you couldn't do while you were? Something that I'm doing now that I couldn't do before. A way that, yeah, a way that your life has changed for the good. Something that you can do now. Cause I oh, think- I'm doing lots. <laughs> Let's hear about it. <laughs> I'm working on a, a series of portraits of homeless people around Canberra. Yeah. Um, I I talk to them on the street. I take their photograph and ask them, do they mind if I paint their portrait? Uh, they're all very happy to cooperate. And um, I've arranged an exhibition with the local legislative assembly. Oh, wow. Uh, next year on the 10th of October. Yeah. So I'm going to have every politician in camp looking at that art and looking Ooh. at those homeless people. That's incredible. So that's what I'm doing. Wow. Politicking. <laughs> that's incredible. Wow. It just makes me angry that these people are homeless. Yeah. Yeah. A politic to get the to get the exhibition happening, and and that's fine. It's going ahead. Um, after that, I hope to take it around all the libraries in Canberra. There's quite a few, uh, so that people can see it. But it's important that the politicians see it. Yes. And I've got a running mate in this particular project, and plus I've got two running mates and. We're talking about uh, creating a policy for the local government, for the Legislative Assembly, a policy on dealing with homelessness in Canberra. So, it's yeah, hopefully something will happen out of this to help people who are homeless. Isn't so that... Isn't that uh, crazy, though, just to think how there was a point in time where you said like you were driving away from that home that he was, you know, he was in and uh, there was nothing forward, nothing behind you. It was just then in that moment. You had that yeah. car with little kids and uh, now you're, you know, here on a podcast with some girl in America and uh, we've never met and uh, you are sharing your story of how you've gotten out and others are going to hear it and be moved by it, but also that you are advocating for those who don't have homes. I think that yeah. that's beautiful and moves me. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. It's, it's like, yeah. what a, what a, I, I don't know this, the way that the next question was, what are your visions and dreams? And you just answered it. And so it's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's incredible. I mean, it's, to hear that this is like what how you're using your life um and you're teaching others that there is another side and uh, yeah. you know yeah. while the aftermath yes. is hard and messy and ugly um it's also beautiful too yeah yeah well i was made homeless six times in my early early years so i know what it feels like it doesn't feel good mm. Yeah, it's a bad feeling. I was just going to ask if the photo that I saw in that group, um, that there was a photo, I think it was a picture of you. Did you paint that? Yeah, that Uh, portrait. Yes, Uh uh-huh. That's right, yeah. My, My brothers, my four brothers, because I've published that autobiography and I painted that portrait with my father holding my head, in his hand, mm. um, <laughs> we don't talk anymore, do we? Me and my four brothers. Mm. Um, my one of my brothers uh, got very upset by the portrait and uh, decided that he had the right to tell me what to do. Mm. I said, well, "No, no, you don't do this. No way." Um, so, yeah, so they four boys. They were brought up in the 50s. They are misogynist. Mm. And if questioned, they would say, oh, we don't know what's wrong with our sister. Eh. But anyway, that's 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 how families can react sometimes in situations like this. Mm. Yeah. 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 So that's fine. 
I think the art is, is powerful though. And I, I, um, I think that that's the picture that I want to, I want people to see it. Uh, yeah. Because it, it's what, it's what drew me to the, to your post in the first place. I was like, this is so phenomenal. Um, and I think you wrote something with it. Is that correct? I, I did. Yes. Yes. Which I can send to you again. Yes. Um, cause I'd love for everybody to read it as well. It was yes. incredible. Um, I will send it to you again. Yeah, please do. With with the uh, website link. Yes, yeah. Caroline. Um, I'm like, <laughs> I'm just so grateful that you were willing to. I know it has been a little chaotic to try and find a time and time zones and all the things. Uh, but thank you for for sharing your story. Um, I know that. I don't know. Sometimes they're, they're definitely not always memories that we want to return to, but um, hmm. I think I've just learned a lot from you. And I think just really the resilience that you have um, and the way that you strategized to keep your kids safe. Yeah. Uh, it's something that a lot of mothers still have to do and they shouldn't have to but they do yeah um of course. yeah well it was interesting for me too because uh yeah I've still got residual emotion about what happened mm. of course yeah 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 it manifests in a lot of ways sorry oh i was saying it manifests in a lot of different ways yeah, yeah. Look, it was a pleasure. Oh, uh, thank you too. Yeah, of course. I I really enjoyed this time and just getting to know you and and hear more of your story. And I know that others who are who are listening are going to be really moved by it. Um, really like yeah, I'm really looking forward to airing the episode and and for others to hear it. Uh, because it's 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 really powerful. You thank have a you. really powerful story. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning in this week. Uh, this is story 11 on season three. So we actually only have one more episode left um, next week. And then we're finished with season three, which is actually crazy. So we're on, uh, we have 12 stories per season. And it's been uh, almost a year that what was her name has been going on. So it's 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 crazy to see, you know, stories being shared and and as the podcast continues to expand and grow uh, I'm just like honored to be uh, able to interview all of all of these survivors and meet so many different people so it's been incredible thanks for listening guys